here's the bet I'll make on that. And that is, is that you are doing things that you don't realize you're doing. So you said that you've never had anybody say anything about, uh, you know, the cost of X. So I'll tell you that somewhere what's happening is, is you're doing your, I bet you could go back and you look at all of those budgets. You're going to be in the range that I'm talking about. Like somewhere on that, it depends on the company. Like, let's say a board has an audit committee, right? If you're a public company, if you get to that point, right, you have at least one expert in finance. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Tim Rohrbaugh. Founder, principal at Default Deny Sec, former CISO for JetBlue Airways, advisor, investor, yep, another Cyber Ranch guest with an awesome history and career under his belt. Now, Tim and I were chatting a while back about budgeting cybersecurity programs, and given that it's budget season, we figured we'd get into this. Um, we found out we had a bit of a disagreement. In true Cyber Ranch fashion, I immediately asked him to come back to the show. Uh, you guys may remember his first appearance where we talked about agile methodology for um, running your actual cyber team. Um, asked him to come back and let's dig into this issue. We're going to have a little bit of a disagreement. Should keep it spicy, should keep it saucy, and uh, we'll get into this. So, so Tim, I'm going to start with my method, and then I'll let you take the floor, and, and we can kind of deconstruct what I've done, and, and you can add your bits, and we'll see if we can't come to a common ground, or, or, or maybe we'll all end up converting to the Tim Rohrbaugh method. Um, but I'll start with mine. And welcome, by the way, and thanks for coming back. Oh, thank you. All right. I maintain that the cybersecurity budget should be tied to specific risks identified uh, versus specific business processes and or assets as determined by business impact analysis. In other words, I sit down with the business. I sit down with all the other leaders. I try to get at least VP level folks in and I try to say, what is it you care about most in this business? What is the most valuable process for you and your, your sub organization of this greater organization? What is it you do? And so, like the sales guys may say, well, we've got to have the, uh, the, the cold calling lines open. We've got to be able to make our cold calls. Okay, so telephony would be a, a subset of that, would be the technology asset underlying that business process that matters. And marketing may say, well, we've got to get the word out on the Internet. Okay, so the website would be a technology underpinning. And we start to get into the, the various things that support the various processes that matter. We stack rank them collectively as a group. And we decide the engineer's source code, is the, is the most important with the sales mechanism being the second most important and blah, blah, blah. So then I go in and I will start looking at those risks in terms of the impact. We've kind of done that with a business impact analysis, but also in terms of plausibility. I don't do probability because I'm a big believer after the show with Andy Ellis and Chris Roberts uh, that we did on, on measuring risk. I'm a big believer that, that probability is probably a bit of a guess. Um, that, that, that we can't really hone in on that, but plausibility is much more realistic. Like I, the CISO, how shocked would I be if this attack happened? Uh, my cyber team, how shocked would they be? The marketing department whose site got hacked, how shocked would they be? The CEO, how shocked would she be or he be? You know, this kind of thing. So let's look at some plausibility. So now we can kind of sit down and say, okay, we got these risks we've identified to these assets we value. And we know the likelihood of the risk is kind of eh, based on this plausibility factor. And we know the um, 
you know, the impact would be based on this business impact analysis. So now we have our risks neatly lined up in a row. And now I, the CISO, step in and say, here's the technologies, people, and process that are going to solve this risk. We're going to address this risk by hiring a SOC analyst and by installing a such and such software. And, you know, you go through the process. And now I'm going and asking for a budget based on what the business's direct feedback to me was. This is what matters. Here's what it's going to take to address what matters. And then we have the budget conversation. Budgets are tight this year. You don't get everything you ask for. Okay, then we're going to drop these two risks from the bottom based on that business impact analysis stack ranking. And I'm going to come back as the CISO and say, originally we were going to do these seven risks. Well, now we're only doing these five because of the budget reductions. We're all on the same page. We decided these five were more important than those two. And that's where we're drawing the line. And we're going to tackle these five for this year. Boom. Done. Right? Now, I'm cheating here. And, and I know that I'm cheating in terms of a simplification because obviously run rate matters. I, I don't walk into a shop as a new CISO with absolutely no controls in place. I'm not addressing everything purely by risk, right? I am dealing with run rate. I probably already have EDR. I probably already have firewalls. I probably already have DLP or, you know, whatever I might have, CASB or who knows. And so that run rate has to be sort of a platform on which my method rests. In other words... It's going to cost us X to address these new risks that we haven't addressed before, but also we have to continue to maintain what we spent in the past. Like EDR doesn't suddenly get cheaper. It, it, it stays the same or maybe even goes up in cost after the three-year renewal. So there's a run rate platform, and then there's my whole risk-based method, and that's how I do it. Um, so I'm going to start with Tim. I know you disagree. Uh, help me understand where you see the flaws in my model, right? Help explain where your budget bumpers come from. You know, I, I say we drop these two risks we're going to address. What are your bumpers? And um, you, you and I had talked about this idea that the budget should be limited based on a, a percentage of something else in the organization. So so take it over from here, Tim. Walk me through it. Okay. Boy, this is going to be bad news for some people and hopefully for others. So two of the things that I would say are primary flaws, and I'm not going to say the things that you did are important for certain phases, but they're not important for budgeting. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because number one is uh, just a little bit of joking here. We want people to have long careers in this field. And number two is we don't want to empower criminals. We don't want to give them more than what they already are gaining. By that, I mean that first off, the first one I'll come to in a second, but it basically has to take, take into account exactly how the economics work in capitalist society and where that puts you at odds in unreasonable situations where, okay. And the second one is, is that every time that we invest a dollar, right, it ends up either being for something that's imminent, right, that you have, like you, you use, pro, you use um, plausibility. To me, I actually 10 years ago tried to stop using the word risk and I replace it with probability. I mean, uh, or, or I'll add in something specific like the risk of because there's so much confusion going on. We'll, we'll get back to that in a second. But from the standpoint of the only reason that cybersecurity exists as a department inside of the company, so investment, is because of criminals. You take them away, no reason to have us. If you take them away, and you take criminality, cyber criminality, there was no reason to have regulations. Regulations are born out of criminality. It's not, you can't reverse all of this. Once you break an egg, you can't unbreak it. Okay, I get that. But, the, but when you take into account those things, the more people that we put into, the more cybersecurity people we put in, what are we doing? We're letting the criminals win. 
we're actually taking production capability out of America. The things where people, young people should actually be solving problems. We're stealing from that and we're putting into cybersecurity. Oh, now that's, that's a big picture perspective that I think so, a lot of us don't keep in mind. That's why I, I've, I've done guest lectures at universities for cybersecurity, and, I'm, and I've even told them I don't believe that we should have undergrad programs for cybersecurity. I believe they should ever, the kids should be out there learning how to actually solve problems that this world needs solving. And only if they have some passion that comes on them from maybe their grandmother having something stolen or being defrauded or them and they get really upset and passionate, then they go take a graduate program with cybersecurity or come do work. Uh, so anyhow, set that aside. I feel like let's go back to the, the budget, the total budget. Okay, so how much should a company spend on cybersecurity? If you go down, if you start with consequences, then it is a slippery slope and you basically undermine our profession. The reason is, is because the numbers don't work out. So what's a, what's a, in, oh gosh, I don't want to pick too much on certain industries, but let's just say healthcare, airlines, travel, which are bringing people around. The thing that cybersecurity worries about is not intellectual property first. It's not finance first. It's human life. It's bodies. It, it's human life, right? What's the, what's the cost of a human life in America? What was it valued at? Somewhere around 7.5 million. Okay. All right. So we can't play with that number. And then what is, if you talk about operations, okay, let's say a plane, uh, people can look this up, but a plane gets stuck on the ground. It's on the tarmac. It doesn't get to fly. It's delayed by three hours and five minutes. What's the potential penalties associated with that? Well, it works out to be about six million five and a half to six million depending on seat density of an airplane that's potential regulatory penalties right that get get expensive if you had a fleet of 100 500 airplanes and the whole network was shut down those are those are things that can happen plausible right so you so when you start uh, this is just a couple examples but you'll see when you work into the when you work in from the consequences and try to establish what your budget is all of a sudden, it becomes untenable in large organizations or those that are at different points in maturity of that company. Okay, so now, if that's, and, and, and if I did that, those numbers would be much too low. So well, first off, let's be distinct for the people who are out there listening. We have, we do, when we say security, right, we do have physical security and we do have cyber. Physical, physical gets applied in a slightly different way. I'm going to leave that one off to the side but cybersecurity budgets. So cybersecurity, we are trying to protect, right, the company from misuse of technology by threat actors, criminals, okay? In essence, who carries the, who carries the, who carries the, uh, the investment from the technology standpoint? That'd be your CIO. CIO, CTO, whatever part of that organization, however structure in your, in your industry, it's set up, okay. So a digital officer, even that's right. The company has from the board down, the company has actually established what it is that they believe that IT, okay, technology can contribute to the organization from a top line perspective. This is, this is regardless of whether there's 2% thin margins or 10%, 15% or huge. This is just, they have made an investment. Everybody understands it from the board down in technology. So. If you in cyber are trying to protect the company, regardless of what uh, cash they have on hand, what intellectual property, technology is the conduit for which misuse happens. 
And so, so there it sends, okay, well, it sounds like I should probably be talking with them about where the budget should come from. Now, rationally, would we ever think, and do you think that you could ever sell anybody on that the cybersecurity investment, in other words, team, you know, people process technology, all of that down below, should actually be higher than IT? No, of course not. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Okay. Now, who carries from an IT perspective, right, from a technology perspective, who carries the actual cost associated with each employee? Now, that's going to depend on budget models, right? Like like Microsoft has a, or at least they used to, I don't know if they still do this, but every new employee who walks in the door, regardless of department, there's a per month surcharge slapped on their head to fund their IT overhead. That go, that budget is typically, now you have to check inside, of, if you're listening to this, you have to check inside your own company. But by and large, that cost is, is held by IT. So what happens is, is that when, when your company staffs down, like during COVID, IT budgets went down because they were letting go of people. Like there was a lot of added cost, but, but you notice the fluctuation in employees within the company, it's actually captured by IT. Those processes are already there. In security, we're trying to protect the technology. And so many times, if you look at your own licenses, right, you might be tied to users, so your user accounts will float with IT. And so IT becomes the gauge, right, with which you have to adjust your budgets because the labor is changing who is using the IT. And then, then on top of that, you need to actually, you need to be able to, one of, your, one of your responsibilities to reduce time to discover. One of those is dependent, that one is dependent on actually monitoring. And so the data volume, which is generated, is yes, partially associated with users who are on the outside if you're a consumer product, but, but, but a big bunch of it is actually tied to users as employees. And so that log volume is adjusting based on that. So what you'll find is, is that everybody inside that purple team, hopefully structure you have, is bearing costs that best align with IT. And there is no way, there is no way that you are con convinced any public board that your budget should be anywhere close to IT. It doesn't make sense, regardless of what the consequences are. And so you've got to find a place to float, to start your total budget somewhere within the range of IT. Where is that? Think about your own, think about, think about the U.S. government, right? How much, is, how much do we spend on the military, of GDP? We're just talking about GDP. Like, like when you start looking at it, it might be like 3 4%, you know, and it might go a little bit higher and European companies may be a little below two. Like we, we really have to be fair with respect to what we are taking from the business to protect it from criminals who are stealing the business. We don't want to be part of that negative consequence. And so 10% is a reasonable place to start. And the, and by the way, that's defensible in court, right? That's one of the other things that a CISO is supposed to do, defensible position, right? Start at 10%. And then you know what you just talked about, the things you talked about, vary that. I didn't hear you talk about threat landscape, but, but that plays into your, that plays into plausibility and probability. So adjust it up and down based on that argument and be prepared to literally change that on a monthly basis.
Yeah, let me I get add, that. Let me add two quick other things and then we'll go into this. And that is, is that that if you do tie it to IT, like I said, 10%, 12%, 15 if you're critical infrastructure, then what you do is you you then are the <laughs> you then have to deal with the fact that you are changing the number of employees quite often, right? And so IT sometimes has to make very quick adjustments because there'll be, you know, departments let go or, or a group unit or something like that. When that goes down, you can't float down immediately. You've got to delay, right, that reaction. So what you do is you agree that you're going to delay either six or 12 months because it takes a while for licenses to be renegotiated. Sometimes you went up to another volume level or your log volume got to maintain. And so what you want to do is you want to agree to actually delay the down, okay, for a period of time. But when it goes up, when you do a hiring or you bring you've got to immediately go up okay. that percentage. And so okay. that little structure is just the little nuance that you want to agree. But but what do you think of that? Howdy, y'all. Alan Alford here to tell you about Alan Alford Consulting. After being a CISO five times, I decided to launch my own cybersecurity consulting practice. My cybersecurity career has spanned companies ranging from five to 50,000 employees with revenues ranging from 2 million on up to 10 billion. I have worked in the cybersecurity industry itself, telecommunications, manufacturing, education, legal, data services, defense contracting, and for a number of SaaS providers as well. What I can do for your organization is to help you better manage, measure, report on, and more importantly, execute on your cybersecurity program. I have helped clients employ cybersecurity frameworks, conduct maturity assessments, develop board reports, and even to draft comprehensive three-year plans with budget and headcount projection to meet compliance and maturity goals. I can help you with anything from an assessment to comprehensive execution. I also offer retainer packages. Find out more at allenalford.com. That's A-L-L-A-N-A-L-F-O-R-D.com. Okay, so I'm going to use an analogy that, 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 that complements and agrees with what you're saying and keeping it super simple. My auto insurance payment should never exceed my car payment, right? Like if I'm paying more for insurance than I am for the car, something is dreadfully wrong. Uh, and, and to that point, if I'm paying 80% of my car note on insurance, something is probably still dreadfully wrong. The auto insurance payment should be substantially less than the car payment itself. Otherwise, what's the point? You know, you could just save the cash yourself and not do insurance and just pay cash if anything goes south. So, so I get that. And I think maybe our models are, are, are perhaps even complementary here. And, and I love what you're talking about, about the adjust down over time, adjust up quickly. I love that, you know, yes, we are, in fact, um, a subset of IT uh, in, in the sense of, you know, we are protecting a technology world more than any other world. We're protecting a technology world. Maybe we own, you know, business fraud and some, you know, phone call type based stuff and email based stuff that isn't necessarily technology solutions to solve. Maybe we own that stuff. But for the most part, it is technology. So I get that. That's our auto insurance payment versus the IT is the car payment. Got it. I like the adjust down and adjust up model. I like that. But I would argue that with my methodology, I have never been the overpriced auto insurance uh, quote. In other words, by the time you're into your first wave, you mentioned maturity. This is super critical, and I should have gotten into maturity myself. By the time you are starting this journey, you're going to see that you're deploying broad swaths of expensive technologies to address specific key risks, right? In other words, we've never done anything about email protection before. We're rolling out, you know, whatever, Proofpoint or, you know, whatever, whoever. Um, 
you're going to roll out an email solution. It's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to impact every single user in the company. There's a there's a license cost per seat or, you know, whatever. It's going to be a big spend. But by the time I'm more mature and I get down to risk number seven and eight and nine, the odds are that that email solution is already partially mitigating that risk, as is the EDR I already bought, as is the whatever I already bought. So I mentioned that stage on which, you know, there's kind of a run rate. What I've seen with my model is that as I get deeper into the BIA stack, as I get into the lower priority risks, starting from the top and working my way down, they're already largely mitigated to a huge extent. And the actual new spend to close that gap to get it to a satisfactory level of risk adjustment. And again, we may not be trying to eliminate it completely. We may look at it and say, you know what, we're already 80% mitigated. We're, We're spending nothing on that one. Let's look at the next risk in line. I've seen that the spend reduces as you dig deeper into my risk stack. And so I've never seen that my model did exceed, right? Like I've never, I've never gone to this CIO and said, uh, you're paying X amount for O365 and for the laptop itself for every employee. And my stack, my tech stack is going to sit on top of that computer and cost the same amount. Like that's never happened. Um, I don't know that I've measured percentage, to your point, and and I think that's a perspective we need to have, and I think you're absolutely right. We need to decide how much is too much for auto insurance, right? If my car payment is, is 500 a month, is 400 too much for auto insurance? Is 300 too much for auto insurance? Is 200 too much for auto insurance? Like, you know, you need to walk through that and decide that, and, I, and that's where I agree with your model completely. But I think my model has historically, without trying to achieve that goal, stayed within those guardrails and, and never triggered a, oh, my God, the insurance is too expensive reaction. Um, and when it does, we just simply drop a risk and get it back down to rights. So so what do you think of that? It sounds like we're kind of, you know, potentially getting to the same place, just getting there through different means. Here's the bet I'll make on that. And that is, is that you are doing things that you don't realize you're doing. So you said that you never had anybody say anything about, uh, you know, the cost of X. So I'll tell you that somewhere what's happening is, is you're doing your, I bet you could go back and you look at all of those budgets. You're going to be in the range that I'm talking about. Like somewhere on that, it depends on the company. Like let's say a board has an audit committee, right? If you're a public company, if you get to that point, right, you have at least one expert in finance on that board, right? There are plenty of, of uh, companies out there that are private that have, you know, CFOs that are more than uh, competent. Right. All of them understand the economics of this, where I'm going to make two immediate warnings. Like, like, I think you may have come up with the right answer, but it's not necessarily 100 percent based on what you think you're using. Is the right. answer. you have other cognitive abilities that are going on inside your brain, right, that are rationalizing this. But but let me tell you two two reasons to never, ever start with anything other than first an analysis of the total spend against I.T. And that is, is that, okay, we have, um, we have, we have people and I'm not going to name any names, but there, I've heard this in multiple places. I've heard CISOs say, you know, in my next gig, I'm going to want 1% of GDP. I mean, of 1% of, of gross revenue to invest in like, like it, like that's irrational, right? But they don't understand how it's irrational, right? Number two, what's happened over the last that I've personally seen. Now, listen, I came from the I, I came first decade plus was military and, and DOD complex, right? 
there we didn't understand what the total spend was. Like we didn't have to worry about all this stuff. And then, then you know, at some point I come to the commercial world and you start to get an, a quick education in, in capital, in, you know, capital markets and all this kind of stuff. And so what ends up happening is, is that you have products that are actually being owned now by PE firms. And, and I'm not just going to say PE firms, but others that tend to have a lack of understanding about where security is from a potential economic market perspective. And they're trying to put the value on this market the same as IT. If you want to make money, anybody who listens to this that wants to make money, don't go into cybersecurity. Solve IT problems. Because I'm telling you, you're going to get a potential 100% spend on IT as your market. If you do security, if you, if you hear what I'm saying, you get a potential 110 to 115%. And so, so what happened in there is, is that the security product company started raising the prices. And when you think that there was some cost already, you, and you can guarantee it, when you, a lot of us, what we were experiencing is 300% increases in, in costs of licenses, many of us. And so all of a sudden, the spend that was required just to maintain that base skewed massively. And so I had to have conversations with them. What are you all thinking? If, I'll, name, I'll name one company in here I don't use, but I, is, a, is an interesting model, right? Actually, I won't name them. But they started out solving an IT problem. And somewhere along the lines, they figured out that they could solve a security problem too. I consider that double dipping, and that's the way that you should go. And so for security vendors out there, don't just serve, solve a security problem. Figure out how to make the security evangelists inside also use that to their benefit to help their peer in IT or digital marketing or someplace else. And you'll capture a greater potential revenue. Well, and from a tactical perspective, I have leveraged that scenario to go to the CIO and say, hey, co-fund this thing for me. So it's not all coming yeah. out of my budget, right? Um, and, and I'll name one, Splunk. Right. Yeah. Everyone needs to log their stuff. IT and security both need to aggregate and centralize logging. Right. So so there's a there's a solution that you can go to the CIO and say, help, help pay for this. Um, yes. Yeah. Because you're trying a lot of times you're correcting. You may be even correcting digital marketing. No, that's not good revenue. Part of that, this percentage is bad revenue because it's fraudsters misusing or other people screen scraping or just the base. Just listen, I, I, there's a whole bunch of different ways that we can figure this out down below. But when you talk about like like the bucket that you have to work with as a security head of security of any title, you need to figure out how can I start at 10% and then use my understanding of the threat landscape, which literally changes monthly, weekly, daily to adjust my budget. And so you, if you figure out that all of a sudden your company says that it is just received um, $150 million uh, government contract, right? Your threat landscape changed. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. <laughs> so, so you have, and or you just won a big brand. Maybe it was a big airline like United or something else, right? All of a sudden you inherited the threat landscape of that big partner. And so you have to say, listen, listen, along with that, I have got to get an increase because I've got to actually adjust, not for just the percentage of, that's invested in IT, but the threat landscape that comes along with it. These are the discussions, but you've got to start someplace like that. And then I believe that you could vary it based on consequence 
maybe two or three points, you know, um, maybe like 200 basis points up, 200 basis points down, but it's going to have to be, it's going to have to be, I start there and I make it work within here. Yeah. 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 I, I get it. I, and I love that you're starting with a macroeconomic perspective for the whole thing. That That's a sobering thought you led with um, this idea that, you know, we're empowering the criminals by spending on cyber, right? Like they're achieving yes. goals every dollar we spend. That's something to really give pause. Um, well, what makes me mad? It's, it's, I really, I really, for the kids who are going into cyber because the parents say it's, they say there's 300,000 jobs that aren't filled and it's a job for life. Like, like it may be true, but, but part of me gets angry about that because it's just criminals winning, you know? I get it. I get it. All right. So to summarize, we are not wanting the auto insurance payment to exceed the auto payment. Uh, we don't even want it to be a substantial percentage of the auto payment, right? And and we should be evaluating ourselves based on that investment. The business has already decided technology is X important to my mission as a business. Um, and therefore, securing X should already be a kind of a known percentage figure as well. Uh, I think my model works within that model if that if that percentage is kept in mind I like that and and I you know I've historically always said it should never be percentage of revenue it should never be percentage of IT budget why are you tying us to these other things this is preposterous I'm important I'm the CISO I've got my own mission over here and I think you've convinced me that um, maybe that's not necessarily the right way to go about it right like the the self-importance that CISOs suffer from uh, and I think we all do to some extent I think this might be another moment of that self-importance we get so mission driven we get so focused on there's a bad guy across the fence and I've absolutely got to plug the fence before the bad guy gets through it or lock the gate or put barbed wire across the top so he can't climb over and bury concrete underneath so he can't dig under and we just we get to thinking of that adversary as as the focal and to your point, if we're focused that much on the adversary, the adversary has already, to a certain extent, won. So I, I like this. I like this model. I like the macroeconomic approach. I like the percentage approach. I'm going to definitely reevaluate how I think about that. Um, and, and I like this idea that we really don't want to be investing in the bad guys. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that's a sobering thought. Um Okay, so I'm still going to stick with my risk-based method, but I'm going to try to keep it within the guardrails you've defined. How about that for my my final answer? That it is it is absolutely right, and I think you probably have naturally fell into that um, at somewhere along the way. Where where most of us have had a, like to rethink it immediately is when all of a sudden you go to renewals and start things start going up, or you start looking at you know you start looking at changes. What you our, our point is that we're trying to cause pain to the criminal, not the business. And so you try to understand what's happening in the business and revenue is changing and why are margins changing. And so, so that's the reason we don't want to tie to the top, right? But, but that is being adjusted by people who really understand this from a technology investment standpoint. So partnering in all of that is key to understanding how the business is working and how the grant threat landscape has changed. Yep. And I've always worked very closely with CTO and CIO. I've been CTO. Uh, in fact, right now, technically I, I have a CIO title myself at, 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 uh, with one of my clients. So I guess to your point, maybe subconsciously, I've been doing this all along. Um, you know, and, and, and I remember one time I went to the CEO, this is a very large enterprise. I went to the CEO with a pitch. We've got these threats. And to, to your point, it was a threat-based perspective, not a risk-based perspective this time. I talked about the threats we face, not the risks per se, but just here's the threat landscape. 
here's what it represents to the biggest, you know, and, and I remember starting with, I want to say the top 25% of our revenue, right? Like I walked, I walked through a spreadsheet that said to protect the top 25% of our revenue from the following threat landscape that's appeared that didn't used to be there, we're going to have to spend X million dollars. And I looked at it and went, oh, that's never going to fly. I mean, I just knew, like, like that's I'm not going upstairs and asking for X million. X million is not going to fly in this scenario. So I went from top 25% to top 10%, and the numbers were within bounds. So I was doing that stack rank risk reduction thing ahead of time in my own brain before even going to the business to say, let's mutually agree. I just dropped 15% off the top, like, you know, like, we're not even going to tackle. I'm not even going to propose we tackle that. And I then went in with a much smaller, more palatable figure that stayed within those confines, and, and it was a successful ask. I actually think that, think that you, you say that you didn't cover that percentage. Listen, what we're trying to do is we're trying to stop the kill chain, right? We're trying to stop the consequence of the empathy, but we know that it's not just the consequence, like what happened. It's actually a series of events inside. And so the way that we get into structuring the actual internal budgets, right, after we get to this percentage and then we d dedicate, it's based on how much that we can either reduce the probability, I'm going to go back to probability, of certain phases, events happening within that kill chain. Use MITRE attack framework and they call it enterprise tactics. We'll dedicate so much to execution, so much to exfiltration, right? You work down that. What we're doing is we're actually aligning uh, investment, and every customer in that company that you were supporting is actually benefiting from that, right? You're protecting that revenue because you're targeting phases to break in that kill chain so that the consequence yeah, and, doesn't. And this is, this is another angle getting back to that same point that I made with my model before, where by the time you get to risk number 10, you've already mitigated 80% anyway because you addressed risk one through nine. It gets yes, easier you, as you go. You've got to you, you, you break execution, right? Or you, or, you know, initial compromise, you know, you break those things or you reduce probability. Everybody benefits from that within that, within that, uh, you know, customer corporation standpoint, you're protecting the employees, you're doing all kinds of things in there that you get credit for, but you're doing it very specifically within, within that kill chain. And I can pretty much say that it doesn't matter really what the consequence is at the end. You really have to break that down. The only time it matters is maybe adjusting just a little bit based on, you know, high T budget. Yeah. And how that's okay. I get no, it. And I get it. And, I, I think I've I, always had guardrails and bumpers on my bowling alley lane there. I just wasn't calling them what you were calling them. I yeah, and I want to say one thing for people who who have an initial emotional reaction to what I'm saying. I am not saying that we should report to CIOs and CTOs. I was a CIO before too, but I'm telling you that it's, it's nice, especially as you get larger up companies, it's absolutely mandatory that there be a separation because you two are supposed to have tension, right? One is supposed to deliver what the business says as fast as it can. And you have to say at these moments, just these points, you have to slow down and do it a little different. And that is, that is healthy tension. Yeah, I like that. And that's, you know, back to the auto metaphor. Uh, somebody's got to tell the CIO, dude, you have to pay for the airbags. You have to pay for anti-lock brakes. Like, like it or lump it, there's some baseline we got to have, right? It's that same kind of conversation. I, I don't know why I'm hung up on an auto metaphor for this whole show. No, but there you no, have it. it's, actually, it's actually a really good one. So, Tim Rohrbaugh, thank you so much for coming back to the ranch. Um, for those who didn't catch Tim's first show on the Agile methodology, that was a mind blower, too. You should definitely go hear Tim's uh, Tim's earlier show. 
Uh, this was some brilliant conversation. You've got me thinking. You've got me challenging some of my precepts, even some ones I was pretty doggedly defending. Um, so well done, sir. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on here. All right. Thanks again. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.